right, the foghorn means it is time for the Cavish Ships podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, the long-running Fat Leonard scandal took an unexpected turn when Leonard Glenn Francis, also known as Fat Leonard, fled federal house custody in San Diego on September 4th, disappearing and presumably on the run. Ironically, the escape came just a couple weeks before he was finally going to be sentenced in court. We'll talk about what is probably the longest-running scandal ever to hit the U.S. Navy with Craig Whitlock of the Washington Post, one of the key reporters doggedly pursuing the case. But first, some naval news from around the world. The British carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth left Portsmouth, England, September 7th for the United States, where she will fill in for sister ship HMS Prince of Wales as the center of a task group conducting F-35B joint strike fighter and unmanned aircraft operations, as well as hosting an international conference in New York. The Prince of Wales, who suffered a serious failure of a propeller shaft coupling on August 27th, just after leaving for the mission, is now alongside in Portsmouth and will soon head north to Recife for repairs in a dry dock. There is no timetable for the prince's return to service. Meanwhile, the Royal Navy's new littoral response group is preparing to leave for a NATO deployment in the Mediterranean Sea. The littoral response group is led by the assault ship HMS Albion. Staying in Britain, Baroness Goldie of the Ministry of Defense reiterated in the House of Lords on September 8th the Royal Navy's intention to purchase a total of 74 U.S.-built F-35B Joint Strike Fighters. 26 are now in service, with orders in hand for another 22 to be delivered by 2025. The U.S. Navy announced on September 9th that the Expeditionary Fast Transport Apalachicola TEPF-13, had completed acceptance trials and unmanned logistics prototype trials. The ship is the 13th Spearhead-class EPF built by Austral USA in Mobile, Alabama, but is the first fitted with an autonomous system developed by Austral, L3 Harris, and General Dynamics Mission Systems. The ship has carried out at least four trials where the autonomous system was engaged, ranging as far as high-traffic areas off the southern tip of Florida. Congress provided more than $70 million for the unmanned systems installation, which is for this ship only. And while the system will remain in place upon delivery, neither the Navy nor Military Sealift Command have announced any intention to operate the ship in an unmanned mode. Rather, MSC intends to base the Apalachicola in the Western Pacific as a logistics ship servicing the U.S. 7th Fleet. The ship, however, is the largest vessel with unmanned capability in the Western Hemisphere and is similar in concept to the U.S. Navy's planned large unmanned service vessel program. The German frigate Hessen left Wilhelmshaven in Germany September 6th, bound for Norfolk, Virginia, where the Germans will join the Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group for the Ford's upcoming initial deployment to begin this fall. For its part, the U.S. Navy has so far not made public any details about the deployment, including what ships and aircraft will take part. In war news, the Romanian coastal minesweeper Lieutenant Dimitri Nicolescu struck a floating mine September 8th about 25 nautical miles off the port of Constanta in the Black Sea. According to a statement from the, from the Romanian Navy, the ship was trying to neutralize the mine when the wind picked up as the ship approached and the mine struck the minesweeper near the stern. 
The explosion caused only minor damage, and the Nicolescu remained afloat, the Romanian Navy said, and none of the ship's crew were hurt. It is not clear who planted the mine, as both Ukraine and Russia have laid sea mines in the Black Sea since the beginning of the conflict in February. Romania said it was the third time a sea mine has entered Romanian waters during the war, adding that overall, 28 mines have been destroyed in the western part of the Black Sea, three by Turkey, two by Romania, one by Bulgaria, and 22 by Ukraine. And in new ship news, fabrication began on September 7th for the future amphibious transport dock ship Pittsburgh, LPD-31, under construction at Huntington Ingalls Industries Ingalls Shipyard in Pascagoula, Mississippi. The ship is the second San Antonio-class LPD built to the Flight 2 configuration. And that's a look at just some of this week's naval news. Well, as we said, the long-running, seemingly never-ending Pat Leonard scandal took an entirely different twist this past week when Leonard Glenn Francis, Fat Leonard, um, suddenly disappeared from a, a, a home where he'd been on home detention uh, outside of San, San Diego. Um, he cut his GPS bracelet. Uh, the federal marshals, upon noticing the anklet, anklet signal was gone, showed up at his house a few hours later, some hours, and a uh, five-bedroom house. In, uh, in in Carmel Valley outside of San Diego and looked in the window and not only was Glenn Francis not there, uh, nobody, nothing was there. The, the furniture was gone. It was empty. So Pat Leonard has absconded with his furniture. He has disappeared. Ironically, he was uh, approaching a sentencing date. I think September 22nd, he was supposed to be finally be sentenced um, for his crimes in, the, in this bribery scandal. And here we are. He's gone. He's missing. So along with his furniture. Well, to help us make some sense out of this endless scandal, uh, we are very fortunate today to have Craig Whitlock. He's the investigative reporter. He's an investigative reporter with the Washington Post. He has a long, long, long history of covering this uh, this scandal. Um, and welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thanks so much for having me. So I think now, now you're uh, um, you're working on a book for this. Uh, I think you were about to have a, you know, the the exciting climax was finally going to be the sentencing of Fat Leonard and the the um, the jail cells would slam shut. Well, now, now, now we're now we're really hanging here. Did you see this coming? What do you think? I didn't. I actually thought that Leonard at his sentencing that they would let him go with time served, that it would allow him to return to Malaysia because he did cooperate enormously with the Justice Department on their investigation. Um, there's no question that for several years, he really uh, was, was blabbing away about as, as a state's evidence witness. And so this was part of a deal, I think, that he thought he was going to be allowed to go home finally, now that the final trials have been wrapped up. But clearly, I think he caught wind that that wasn't going to happen, that the Department of Justice was going to argue to a federal judge that Leonard deserved to go back to prison. Now, I think the reason for that is Leonard had kind of gone public in the last year. He had given some interviews to a British podcaster and that made things very difficult for the Justice Department because Leonard said some, you know, he has he a big ego and he was, he was spouting a lot of hot air in this podcast, made it very difficult for prosecutors to call him as a trial witness during recent trials this spring and summer of several Navy officers. So I think because of that, that he, he couldn't testify on behalf of the Justice Department 
that kind of ruined his chances of being let go free. And so anyway, so Leonard clearly got the sense that he, he was probably going back to jail and, you know, he took off. And the amazing thing is that people weren't really watching. Oh, uh, Chris, you were, you were a fan of this podcast. You, you recommended it to me a few times. You thought it was really great, really interesting. I did find it interesting um, having uh, worked some of these stories for the Navy and having worked with both you and Craig, um, I, I found, um, you know, Leonard's own words to be uh, gripping. Um, I, I mean, I zipped through it. I think uh, I had a couple trips uh, over that month. And as every episode came out, uh, I found myself riveted uh, by um, the the information that Leonard was sharing. I mean, it was it was sort of true to character, right? I mean, you could almost feel when he was blowing hot air, um, but yet in between the hot air, there seemed to be moments of uh, of candor. And I, I don't know that I'd say honesty because I'm not sure he's capable of that, but you, you got to look into um, what we had heard about uh, for, for years. And as both you and Craig have written, there, there are several sides to this story. I mean, there's the ethic side of how could this happen uh, in the U.S. Navy? And then there's kind of the disastrous, um, you know, arbitration or adjudication of, uh, you know, the justice associated with those ethical lapses. At times, what felt like a witch hunt on, on the Navy side, a, a very long drawn out process that disrupted uh, detailing in the, in the Pacific and affected uh, the flag wardroom for almost a decade. So there, there's lots of twists and turns, um, you know, a, as evidenced by uh, the, this latest uh, chapter in the Fat Leonard uh, scandal. Craig, how, how would you describe this? I mean, to, to somebody who's, you know, you're, you're, a, you're, you're at a dinner party and you're talking to somebody who's heard about this. What's all this Fat Leonard stuff? What's that really about? I mean, sum this up. What, what, what is the Fat Leonard scandal? So Leonard Francis, he's a Malaysian citizen but he's really one of the world's great con men. He'll go down in history as an unparalleled con man who defrauded the Navy of tens of millions of dollars. His, his business, Glen Defense Marine Asia, held hundreds of millions of dollars worth of husbanding contracts with the US Navy to you know, resupply and service Navy ships and subs to some extent uh, in ports in the Western Pacific. And he worked with the Navy for more than 25 years. But what Leonard did is he, he essentially worked a business model where he would overcharge or, or fraudulently charge the Navy for fuel, for water, for you name it, anything that the Navy needed, he would provide, but he would, he would feather his bills and invoices. Sometimes he would just make them up out of the blue. And the way he was able to get away with this, quite frankly and bluntly, was he was able to bribe Navy officials for more than two decades to look the other way. And he used every bribe imaginable. He'd take people out to fancy dinners. He'd buy them cigars. He'd buy them booze. He'd give them envelopes of cash. He'd provide them hookers. Uh, you name it, anything Leonard could think of to get people to do his bidding, he would. And the amazing thing is that this did go on as long as it did. And by the end, there were so many people in the U.S. Navy, active duty and retired, who had dealings with Leonard Francis that were uh, at, at one end of the spectrum unethical, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, really criminal, uh, that this, this really did paralyze the Navy for a number of years. It's one of the 
It's no doubt the biggest public corruption scandal, not just in US Navy history, but in terms of the US military history, in terms of the numbers of people who came under scrutiny. So, you know, here we see Leonard once again, he's, he's this amazing comment. He conned a federal judge into thinking he was, he was terminally ill. That's why he was let out of jail to begin with. And then he flies the coop and is undoubtedly gone from the United States because he made people think that uh, he was under close monitoring in this home detention outfit. So he, he really is quite a character. He's, he's very, very smart. He's someone who has no formal education uh, beyond a couple of years of high school. He's a high school dropout. He's also, as a Malaysian, he really figured out American culture and U.S. Navy culture. Uh, you know, he really figured out how things work, how people thought, what their vulnerabilities were, and he, he really exploited that for 25 years. They did. They, they targeted. I think we're, we're, let's have a little discussion here. Uh, I think we have different takes on this story. And there are multiple takes. It's not a simple bribery um, scandal. And, you know, you can call him a con man, which, I mean, he was certainly an operator, but he actually delivered services. The fact that he overcharged for those services is a factor, of course. But one of the reasons why this was such a broad reaching scandal was that Glenn Defense Marine delivered on stuff. If you wanted to wanted it done, they would be there. They were reliable. They provided a great uh, uh, number of services. And it was, a, it was a one-stop shop. You didn't have to deal with seven different entities when you were coming into a port. You just dealt with Glenn Defense Marine. And your pilot was going to be there. And the, you were going to have a have a... A berthing you were going to the, the brow was going to be there when you showed up there were going to be cars there if you wanted to have a have a reception there were going to be tents and awnings and and uh, and everything and i mean it was on and on and on and on and on and if you wanted to play golf and have a good time he would set all this stuff up and he would invite you over and he 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 was insidious he he insinuated himself into the entire fabric of the, the navy command structure so that everybody knew him he was uninvited in many cases. It wasn't people going out of their way to meet him. I mean, I know, I know, for example, you know, a junior officer who's on a ship and the captain comes over and says, uh, what are you doing today at 1700? He said, uh, well, I was going to be off. Well, you're playing golf with us. You're a fourth. So be at the brow at, uh, at uh, 1700. We're going to go play golf. And he finds himself a, you know, a fourth for, for golf with Fat Leonard. Does that officer have anything to do with with any of these scandals? Absolutely not. But that officer, what wound up being under investigation for for a year and a half, his career was put on hold. It was, it was and he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't even confirm that he was under investigation. The investigation itself here is a whole other aspect that I think anyway has been overlooked because it's so much fun to to go with Fat Leonard, who's admittedly a, a totally colorful individual. Everybody in Westpac. For years had fat Leonard stories and no problem at all finding people who encountered him because he put himself in all these positions endlessly. Everybody had their picture taken because he made sure to go up and say, hey, Admiral, how you doing? Oh, look, here's the photographer. Hi, smile. I mean, every, there was a there was a photo of everybody with him. He, he drew everybody in and he did provide his services. And he but but, you know, you're you're right. He was he was overcharging people to the wazoo. Um, people were told over people who questioned it were told overlook it 
people thought, well, this is a weird way to do business. It's not how we would do it in the States. This must be how people do it in, in, in Asia. I mean, all kinds of levels of this. So there's there's multiple levels of malfeasance. There were some people who truly, absolutely were bad people and went, went at it in a criminal fashion. There were other people who really made a lot of stupid judgments, bad judgments. There were other people who really didn't do anything. They were bystanders. And everybody has been caught up in this thing that's gone on for years and years and years, has affected hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm, I have no, no trouble at all finding people who were, who were um, caught up in these things. And, and quite honestly, a lot of them had nothing to do with anything, never met Leonard. They were, you know, I, I knew a flag officer who was, um, he was actually commander of Fifth Fleet. He was supposed, he was waiting for his relief. He had a new job when he came back to D.C. He was going to have a nice Pentagon job. His relief was under investigation. They, the Navy was constantly being told by investigators, we're almost through, we're almost through, we're almost through, we're almost through. His relief spent over a year, year and a half under investigation. Meanwhile, the, the, the other guy who was supposed to be relieved couldn't get relieved. His, his, his uh, hoped-for job came and went. And in the end, his, his relief after all that was cleared of any wrongdoing at all, nothing. So then he came out there and the guy said, well, I'm just going to retire now. Had nothing to do with it. Never met him. This was a, this investigation had a larger effect on a, on a military service than any investigation in the history of the country. And that, that, that that's saying something. Tailhook was, was paled in result to the number of people who were caught up in this. So we have, what, 34 people actually stood trial? or at least pleaded guilty in front of a judge. Uh, was it 33 or 34 or 34 or 35? Uh, 34, right. there's one who was who right. the jury hung on. And so most of those that pleaded guilty, four were found guilty at trial. That doesn't include uh, the numbers at court-martial. And of course, there are hundreds of others who whose cases were adjudicated by the Navy that the Navy has never disclosed the outcomes for. Because they were cleared, because there no, was nothing no, to disclose. No, no, Chris, I... I understand you got strong. No, no, no. About this, but, but what I'm saying, what back. I'm saying is, it goes, but, but it goes both back. ways. Let me finish, Chris. They wouldn't even say you're clear, Chris. Chris, you're Chris, that's incorrect. They weren't all clear. The Navy I didn't say all clear. No, 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 not all. Not all. But the re the Navy has not disclosed what happened in all these cases, including of people who's were found of substantiated misconduct. Right. And the Navy has refused to make any of that public. So we don't know the extent to which who was cleared and who was not. And sometimes people were cleared, but that doesn't mean they didn't have any doings with Leonard. These were often people who went to dinners with him, who accepted gifts. And it's it, some very fancy dinners. There's still some very senior active duty flag officers in the US Navy who partied with Leonard Francis. And this has never come out. And it will, but it hasn't so far because the Navy has tried to sweep it under the rug. So, you know, we certainly can talk about the investigation and the merits of it, but the fact that there, there hasn't been whole accountability for people who did accept gifts from Leonard. And I think this really gets to the bigger question is, I mean, I can understand the investigation has had a profound effect on the Navy and its ability to promote people and to relieve people at, at senior ranks, but this is because the Navy got itself into an enormous mess. People knew what Leonard was up to for years and years and years. Junior people, mid-ranking people, senior people, they knew Leonard was a crook and people let him get away with it. I think that raises some serious questions about 
Navy leadership and Navy culture, the fact that this was allowed to unfold for as long as it did. The reason the investigation went on for so long is because this case had drags back to the early 90s. And so investigators had to go back and look at all these people who had contact with Leonard over the years before they could clear them or bring charges. So, you know, it, it is a double-edged sword in this case. I'm not trying to defend the investigation, but without a doubt, there was an awful lot to investigate. This becomes the common theme in a lot of these investigations, whether criminal or operational. Um, there's this sense that um, people in power kind of turned a blind eye until they could no longer turn a blind eye. I mean, I remember talking to you many times, Craig, and as you were doing the initial investigation, complaints were being lodged against Leonard Francis and, and those involved with Leonard Francis for almost a decade before, you know, this made the the cover of, uh, of Defense News with Chris Cavus and of the Washington Post with you. Um, so you have this sort of turning of a blind eye. Then you have the Navy kind of fumbling through not only the investigation, but how they publicly shared the information. I mean, that's the hard part for me. Y you don't really know who was cleared and who wasn't cleared because you, you, the Navy won't talk about it. So if you're associated with this and you want people to know that you were in whatever category, everywhere from the cleared to the to the court-martial, you, you have no way to, to share that information because the Navy and the Justice Department hasn't allowed you to... Uh, um, to share that information. And I, I guess I kind of lean a little bit more maybe towards Craig's view in that I think there are a lot more senior people involved in this than the Navy has admitted. Um, and I don't know that we'll ever, and by involved, I mean, they knew about it, number one. And number two, like you said, they hung out with the likes of of Leonard and, and his cronies. They may not have taken gifts and it may not have risen to the level of, you know, criminal complaint, but they knew what was going on. And because of the, um, you know, consolidated disposition authority and um, how they've handled this, we may never know. Um, or, or when we do know, it'll, it'll be long past both public and naval accountability. So I, I don't think the Navy has really done itself any favors um, now, I'll give them a little bit of credit that um, or, or make a little bit of an excuse for them in that I think the Justice Department, you, you know, really made this very difficult on them um, in, in what they could could share and couldn't share. But, you, you know, like we've said, the Navy was sort of happy to accept that and, and not really push back. I think that's right. And I should let you know, in terms of full disclosure, I have a lawsuit pending, a FOIA lawsuit against the Department of the Navy trying to obtain documents of people for whom were found to have committed misconduct by the Consolidated Disposition Authority. The Navy used to release some of those records and it stopped about three years ago, said it was no longer in the public interest. And they also said because there were cases pending in federal court that this could possibly interfere with ongoing investigations. You know, I, I find that really disingenuous because I've just been suing for cases that have already been completed, have already been wrapped up, Many of them had nothing to do with the people on trial, except that Leonard Francis was involved. So mm -hmm. the Navy at the highest levels a few years ago made a decision that they were no longer going to release any information about the investigation into Leonard Francis and Glenn Defense Marine Asia. And I think it's pretty clear because they made a calculation that you know they, they've suffered enough of a hit to their public reputation. They didn't want people finding out anymore. But, you know, but you're right, Chris. I mean, there's people who were cleared, right? Who, 
who'd never met Leonard Francis. Their name just came up in, an, in another interview, or you know, let's say they were on an email, they were invited to something, but they didn't go. And, and those people should have their names cleared too, no doubt. But we really, th this is the whole problem. We really don't have clear insight into what happened yet, even though Leonard was arrested nine years ago this month. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. One, nine years that the case has still been going on, nine years that it took to till Leonard was going to be sentenced. I mean, that's sort of an outrage too, in terms of speedy trial and all that. I mean, how does it take nine years? To, you know, he pleaded guilty uh, seven years ago and they just now finished a bunch of trials in federal court. I mean, this case has really dragged on really slowly, uh, but the bottom line is the public still doesn't have a clear idea of how serious it was, who was involved and you know, accountability. There, there's been some accountability. There's been a remarkable number of people went on trial. The Navy previously had issued a number of statements about people receiving censures or non-judicial punishment or uh, court martials, but you know, it, it's, it's a partial accountability. We still don't know the whole of it. And the bigger question is, I think the Navy hasn't really wrestled with this, you know, what lessons can it draw from this? How do you keep it from happening again? I think there's been, you know, how, how could this happen to the US Navy? It such, has such a reputation for integrity, has such a high reputation with the public how could it let this happen under their eyes for so long? And what does that say about the senior leadership of the Navy? You know, these are questions that nobody really wants to touch. Well, I guess, you know, I, I, I also tend to back up from a lot of this stuff and people focus on the U.S. Navy. Glenn Defense Marine positioned itself throughout the entire Western Pacific as the, as the company to deal with for husbandry services. And everybody who, who operate out there dealt with Glenn Defense Marine. That includes the British, the British Navy, the French Navy, the Japanese Navy, the Russian Navy, um, everybody dealt with it. And these things happened across the board. Obviously, the U.S. Navy is a major customer out there, but the Australians were, were, were are all caught up in this. Everybody's caught up with this. Anybody who was operating out there was caught up with this. It was not targeted the U.S. Navy other than the fact that the U.S. Navy is a great big customer that has the biggest ships out there but but it was it was commercial operations it was everything it was it was it was the maritime scene i think that gets lost in in the in the context here uh i it's I'm right not, Chris, but i you know it's important to when leonard started his company you know he he sort of inherited part of it from his father and grandfather there was a pretty small operation right it was. In Penang, and he built it up over the years, he was a phenomenal businessman. He figured that out. And you're right. A lot of US Navy people said he had a very good reputation for the services he provided. That said, I wouldn't say it's perfect. I mean, he got a lot oh, no. of bad ratings. And right. one reason he was able to expand to additional ports and countries is because he <laughs> he bribed people, people, right? He he rigged right. the contracts. He literally gave envelopes of cash. Which also is how contracts. how a great deal of the world operates. And, and it's like it's not a goody two shoes world. And that's if not, we're gonna, no, no, that's not how it operates with US Navy though. I, I, I understand, the, I understand that. But see, but what I'm trying to say is there's there are cultural issues here. And on the one hand, you have these strict laws. On the other hand, you have people that go out and they see this stuff happening and they all their eyebrows go up. This can't be right. They, they, they question them, and then people say, yeah, well, that's how you do things out here. And they might shake their heads and they'll walk out. But the, the, the point is, there is no 
to 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 say that there were hard and fast lines here that were crossed is just not the case. And Chris, Chris he bribed with cash. I, I understand that. And I've and I've seen people bribe things, and I've been in other parts of the world where that's how you actually got something done. You Somehow, mean, somewhere, officials you may not like it. Of cash from the, contractors, and that's not reported. I find oh, that really hard to believe. Th this will end up. I mean, and, and probably is already um, an ethics discussion at, you know, the likes of the U.S. Naval Academy and ROTC and others where they discuss these things. Where this becomes gray to me is not the bribing of officials and, and not the, um, you, you know, the breaking of, of laws. It is the the Navy had all of these force protection and um, theater specific uh, regulations and rules that had they not gone with Leonard, they would have had a hard time finding other contractors to fill that. Now, that doesn't mean that um, that you you should break rules and that you should bend your ethics, but there is very much a, a cause and effect, I, I think, part of this. Um, that that helps you understand how people um, were able to you know lose their honor and and lose their integrity. As I talk to contemporaries and and folks that I know that were out there, um, there were a lot of people that felt like the post 9/11 security uh, posture and and the requirements to go in and out of port post coal. I mean, really set the scene for uh, for Leonard and this small group of of folks that helped him. Um, to sort of lead the Navy willingly down this road. And to me, that's the bigger lesson is, right? I mean, okay, it's easy to say, hey, don't take, uh, don't take hookers and don't take money and don't take concert tickets. Um, I think where the Navy, as they continue to operate out in the uh, Indo-PACOM, where, where they need to make sure they learn is how do you recognize um, the organization's uh, causal factors on this well before you get to the point where people are breaking the law? Chris, I think you're exactly right in that one regard on force protection on how Leonard really exploited this on the part of the Navy. After the coal bombing, he was very quick to pick up on the need, the Navy's need to offer force protection. He had this thing he called the ring of steel, where he had these barges set up and he'd had cables connecting them. And he, you know, he was a brilliant marketer, right? He called it the ring of steel and he promised that you know, in port, he would set this up and, you know, he charged out the nose for it, but he's like, I will set up the ring of steel to protect your ships, right? And what, what Navy commanding officer would refuse that after the coal, right? They, they have an obligation to protect their crew. They're going to take any security measures necessary. And Leonard ran with this. He made millions and millions of dollars, even though for years, it was really questionable whether this ring of steel was effective or not. Uh, and But again, this is where Leonard really figured out, I think, Navy processes, Navy culture, how the contracting world worked. And he, he was smart. He was a really smart businessman. And he, again, he figured out how to take advantage of these things. Um, but you're right. It, there's a big difference between somebody taking, you know, naked bribes from Leonard and people who, you know, there were many supply officers on ships, right, who Leonard's like, oh, you need this, you need that. And if you don't, something bad might happen. And maybe they hadn't dealt with Leonard before and they didn't know any better and they'd sign off on it. So he, he knew how to take advantage, no question. Uh, but as Chris, as you alluded to earlier, there were 
numerous, numerous complaints to NCIS and to senior Navy officials about how Leonard and his company were ripping off the Navy. And those complaints, you know, they, they got they got stuck in the in the trash can. You know, there were more than two dozen NCIS investigations, criminal investigations that were opened into Glen Defense Marine Asia and were closed before they really started taking things seriously against the company. Um, you know, and that's that's an indictment of NCIS, not of the Navy, the uniform Navy. But you know, again, this this went on for years and years and years, and it snowballed until when it blew up, it was really, really bad. And that's why the investigation got so big and took so long. You know, this, there are any number of times over the years this could have been nipped in the bud earlier and wasn't. And, you know, that's another question the Navy really has to wrestle with, I think. All right, well, folks, we, we really could talk about this for a lot longer. There's so many levels to it. But uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna have to call it there. We've been really lucky today to have Craig Whitlock of the Washington Post on with us. Uh, Craig, uh, again, you've really done some fantastic reporting on this over the years. I look forward to your book. Uh, I hope you get a good coda on this that uh, uh, Fat Leonard will re will emerge again. I can't imagine he'll he'll not he'll not but, uh, and uh, and give you a good ending. So again, thanks thanks so much for being on today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And uh, you're right. I think the last chapter where we have yet to hear from Leonard, but you, you bet we will at some point. He can't help it. Now hear this. Now hear this. All right. You know what that means. And this week, Mr. Cavus continues the discussion about Fat Leonard. Well, as you just heard in our discussion with Craig Whitlock, there are multiple issues at hand with the Fat Leonard scandal. And not everyone agrees about where some of the emphasis should go in terms of finding those responsible and holding them accountable. There's no question there was serious wrongdoing on the part of many U.S. Navy officers and civilian officials over many years. Great effort has been expended by both Navy and federal investigators to root out offenders and punish them in ways ranging from career-ending punitive letters all the way up to extensive jail time and hefty monetary fines. There are indications now that the federal investigation is winding down, even as there is no doubt that while many were punished, many others will essentially have gotten away with it. Most of the reporting on the scandal has focused on the crimes and ethics violations that clearly were endemic for many years in the Western Pacific region. That was part of the problem. Many officers and officials, while questioning the practices of Glenn Defense Marine Asia, were often told not to worry about it. It's just the way business is done out here. Shaking their heads, a lot of individuals just went along with it or simply shrugged off their concerns. It is difficult to change deeply ingrained behavior, no matter what we're talking about. Racism, sexism, discrimination of all kinds. Social behaviors such as smoking, drinking, use of language. Often it takes a key event to represent the culmination of grievances to the point where such behaviors, once tolerated, once accepted, once overlooked, are now no longer accepted. In the tailhook scandal of 1991, long tolerated sexual harassment and sexual assaults by Navy aviators at the annual tailhook convention finally exploded onto the national stage as examples of horrendous behavior, to say the least, that would no longer be tolerated. An extensive investigation followed. Dozens of uniformed personnel were disciplined. The tailhook organization was decertified. Congressional hearings dove deeply into the situation. Ultimately, the scandal brought down the chief of naval operations. But after a couple years, the investigations tailed off. 
Sexual harassment remains a problem in the Navy, the military, and in our society, but that particular investigation came to an end. The Fat Leonard investigation has gone on far longer. It began in 2006. Francis was arrested in 2013, and that's when this scandal finally became public. Further investigations have continued to this day. While only 34 individuals went to trial, dozens more have been punished. But the investigation itself negatively affected hundreds of individuals, and the vast majority of them were not found culpable of anything. Many weren't even under investigation at all, but were caught up in the blast effect of the probes. The damage to careers is incalculable. The damage to Navy leadership up and down the line is wide and deep and will not soon go away. This is an incredibly complex topic, but it is by no means a clear, right or wrong, up or down, black or white issue. There are, of course, those cases of clear malfeasance, but there are far more where it simply was never that simple. Thanks, Chris. Well, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavish. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hey.